It's good to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, this morning, our text is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Uh, last week, Jim preached on the lineage of our Lord Jesus. This week, we come to Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, a passage that is familiar to many of us, uh, a passage that I fear we sometimes read through very quickly and don't think carefully about. Uh, it doesn't impact us as fully as it should. Uh, I want you to notice that in our text itself, there are two times where the Bible says, behold. The word behold, when you see that in scripture, it means pay attention. Here is something wonderful. Here is something important. Pay attention to it. So this is an important passage. And before I read the scripture and pray for us, I want to give you just a little background, maybe hopefully establish some of that importance, and then we'll go through the story together. I believe that this story is about the greatest event in the entire history of the entire universe. There's nothing more significant than God coming in the person of his son to dwell as a man with men. Nothing else tops this in all of human history. When you think about history, think back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the first sin, when they disobeyed God and God came and confronted them. Uh, you may recall that on that day, God's confrontation included a declaration. I'm going to put enmity between you, Satan, in the form of the serpent, and the seed of the woman. Uh, God promised on that day that a descendant of Eve at some time in the history would come who would deliver God's people, someone who would crush the head of the serpent. That someone we know is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we have these promises again and again that God makes reference to of a coming deliverer. He mentions it even in his covenant with Abraham when he says, Abraham, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Paul explains to us in Galatians that when God used the word offspring there, he wasn't talking about plural. He was talking about one particular descendant, and that descendant is the Lord Jesus. Over and over again, through various Old Testament figures, God made these promises, made these reminders perhaps been most clear in the house of David. Uh, God said to David, I'm going to raise up another king, someone who will always love me and walk before me perfectly, and he will reign and rule forever. Uh, through the prophet Isaiah, God says that this redeemer that he's going to send is someone who will be without any sin of his own, but he will suffer for the sins of his people and he will die. So over and over and over again, there has been this promise. So as we come to Matthew's gospel, at this time in the history of God's people, there's a longing. There's a waiting and a longing because it's been a, a, a lot of years since the promises were made. And now it's been 400 years when God's been totally silent. From the end of the Old Testament to Matthew's gospel, there's just silence from God for 400 years. There was expectation, there was longing. Some of those who longed for deliverance, all they could think about was political and freedom in that way. But there were some who understood, and Zach 
Zechariah was one of those. You may recall reading part of chapter one there where he spoke of a deliverer who would come, who would free God's people so that they could serve him in holiness and righteousness all their days. So the audience that Matthew is writing to, they're longing for a Messiah, but they don't know who he is. And Matthew wants to let them know this Jesus, he really is that Messiah. So if you would stand with me, we'll pray and read scripture. If you were alive in the time of Matthew and you were about to read this, there would probably be a growing excitement in you. If you had an understanding of the promises of the Old Testament, there would be a growing excitement as you read of the Messiah coming. Uh, So let's ask God to prepare our hearts for that. Father, please uh, guide and direct our thoughts Help us to hear your word. Help it to pierce our hearts as your Holy Spirit works so that we can understand the things that you want us to understand and so that our lives can be changed, so that we can grow in our love for you, so that we can grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and how that impacts our life in deeper ways than maybe we normally think of. Uh, So, Father, help us now in the reading and hearing of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of God. Uh, Please be seated. Uh, I'll give you a little heads up. The outline in your bulletin is not uh, not correct. (laughs) I changed my mind as I continued working on the sermon. The the first point is right. It's the story of Jesus' birth. Uh, The second point will simply be, so what? Um, But we first need to look at the story of Jesus' birth. Again, it's something that's very simple, very basic, Uh, But it has profound significance for every one of us, profound significance for the history of the world. Here's the characters in our story. Jesus, uh, he does not have a speaking role in this story. And then Mary, she doesn't have a speaking role in this story either, but certainly she's part of it. There's the Holy Spirit, whose uh, speaking is through Matthew as he records this incident for us. And then there's Joseph and an angel. Well, who's Mary? Mary's a young woman. Uh, We all know that, right? You've heard that story before. But think with me carefully what it would have been like for a young woman at that time who is betrothed to be discovered as pregnant. Uh, That would have been shameful, right? 
It would have been a, a difficult thing. Joseph is devastated when he finds out that she's pregnant. Now, Mary, at this point, knows that the child in her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. But all that Joseph would know is this gal that I'm engaged to, that I've promised that I will be faithful to, she is pregnant and I'm not the father of the child. The Bible tells us that Joseph was a just man. That means that he cared about righteousness. He cared about obeying the law of God. He was also a kind and compassionate man. He didn't want to do anything that would bring shame and embarrassment to Mary. And apparently he was really wrestling with this and thinking about this. The Bible simply says, as he was considering these things. So it was still on his mind, trying to figure out what to do and what is the best way to respond. At some point he falls asleep. The Bible says an angel appears to him in a dream. This angel greets Joseph with um, a, a greeting that would sound very strange to our ears. Joseph, son of David. Now, wait a minute. We've just read in the genealogy that Joseph's father was Jacob, right? Why would the angel address him in that way? It's because for the Jews, family history and lineage is so important. And it's also become because over and over again in the scripture, when God or when one of God's spokesmen addresses someone and reminds them of their heritage, something big is coming. Some big announcement, some significant thing is about to be said. When Joseph is reminded that he's a descendant of David, it's likely that he would also have remembered the promises made to his great, 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 great grandfather, that one of his descendants would one day sit on the throne and rule, righteously rule forever. A promise that God had reiterated to David over and over and over again. David mentions it many times throughout his life. And the other prophets in the Old Testament pick it up. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jeremiah writes, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. David would have been familiar with these passages. Young men who were Jews were raised to learn the scriptures, to know the promises. We don't know exactly what David was thinking when he heard this greeting, but he could not have missed. This is something really important. God is singling me out in a way that at that point he probably doesn't fully understand, but there has to be a sense of wonder and awe to be told, Joseph, son of David, don't fear. Don't fear to take Mary as your wife. We don't know exactly what it was that David was afraid of. Perhaps he was afraid of the talk that would come, the gossip that would come, uh, the, the ridicule and scoffing that would be poured out toward his wife and towards his son if he married this woman. Uh, we don't know if Mary had already at this point told him, Joseph, it's, it's not because I've been unfaithful. We don't know fully what he knows at this point, but we do know he knows enough or he doesn't know enough that he's afraid. That was part of what was motivating him was the fear. And so God's messenger, the angel, wants him to know this is a time for action. This is a time for trust. This is a time, Joseph, to take to heart the words of Isaiah in quietness and trust. You will find strength. 
And so Joseph listens as, as the angel continues. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, Mary hasn't been unfaithful. What a relief that would have been for Joseph, but also what a wonder. How can this be? This is no ordinary pregnancy. This is no ordinary child. This child has come to be because of the working of Almighty God in a way that has never been heard of before. Joseph wouldn't have a category for this. We have a category because we're familiar with the story. We're familiar with the New Testament, but Joseph didn't know. As a young boy growing up, he would have heard of God's power displayed over and over again as he defeated the enemies of his people. Things like the parting of the Red Sea or sending hailstones from heaven or sending a shepherd boy with a sling to slay Goliath. Over and over again, Joseph would have heard these stories. He would have heard about God providing a child to couples that are old and beyond the normal age of childbearing. But for the Holy Spirit to bring about the conception of a child, no category. How do, you, how do you even know how to respond to that? The angel continues. She's not just pregnant. She's going to bear a son. You're going to have a, a boy, Joseph. And not just any boy. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is the climax of the whole story. The story is not about Mary. The story is not about Joseph. This is a story about God being faithful to his promises. And the angel is saying, now's the time. Everything that has been longed for for thousands of years by those who understood and believed that God would rescue his people, it's about to happen. Jesus means God saves. Do you catch that? The angel's telling Joseph two things. He's God and what he's going to do, he's going to save. The one who will rescue God's people from oppression, the one who will deliver them from the hand of their enemies, the one who will enable them to serve God without fear and holiness and righteousness all their days, the one who will bring peace, the one who will proclaim good news to the poor and liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, who will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, who will provide forgiveness for all their sin. This one. The angel says to Joseph, this one. That is the, the, the identity of the baby in Mary's womb. My deliverer, I'm sending him. That tiny little baby in Mary's womb is God in the flesh. Again, we've heard that so often. We're familiar with that. Think what it meant for Joseph. Think how he would have responded on the inside to learn that Mary is carrying the deliverer, the redeemer, God in the flesh. So what will Joseph do? How's he going to respond to this? Well, before we find out, the narrator jumps in and tells us and explains and interprets everything that's going on. He said, this happened to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 7. This is something that Matthew is going to do a lot in his gospel. Over and over again, he's going to say, this happened to fulfill the scripture. This happened to fulfill the prophecy. This happened to fulfill what God said through the prophet. And so 
Matthew tells us what's happening. Now, the quote from Isaiah chapter 7, um, I thought it might be helpful just to give you a little background on this particular quote. It occurred during the ministry of Isaiah, in particular, when he was uh, um, addressing, or at the same time as Ahaz was serving as the king of Judah. At that time, Judah and Israel were two separate kingdoms. Uh, Ahaz ruled over Judah. Ahaz was frightened and scared because the king of Israel and the king of Syria both had joined together and were coming to attack and to destroy Ahaz and his people. God sent Isaiah to Ahaz with this message. Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two kings. I won't allow them to destroy you, God said, and I'm going to keep my promise. And then God said something very surprising. Choose a sign, Ahaz. You tell me what sign you want me to perform to prove that I'll be faithful to what I've promised. And King Ahaz said, well, I won't put the Lord to the test. It can sound a little bit humble and, and respectful at first, but it's actually not. Isaiah saw right through it. And he said, Isn't, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary God also? In other words, Ahaz, you're lying. You just don't trust God. You don't believe him. And so Isaiah says, God himself will send you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The rest of chapter 7 and 8 detail how God's going to carry out his punishment of his people and how the very nation that Ahaz wants to look to for rescue, uh, the nation of Assyria, uh, God's going to use them to actually harm his people. And then we come to Isaiah chapter 9 and the promise more information about this child who will come, Emmanuel. Matthew is telling us here that the ultimate meaning and significance of that prophecy given through Isaiah to Ahaz is now, on this occasion, as he is speaking to Joseph about what has occurred that's resulted in Mary's pregnancy. It's because God is sending his son who will save his people. And now, behold, you're going to have God with you. This is staggering information. So what will, Math, or what will Joseph do? Uh, it's not very flashy, not very spectacular. The Bible says he woke up, he took Mary as his wife, brought her into his home, and didn't have relationships with, or relations with her until after Jesus was born. The Bible tells us when the baby was born, he, Joseph gave him the name Jesus. Just simple obedience there on the part of Joseph. He believed God and he obeyed. This time for action, this time for trust, Joseph responded in a faithful way. Well, I haven't told you anything new, right? You're probably familiar with this. Maybe you have not only sung of it, maybe you've acted in a nativity play or something. We're all familiar, right? But what's the significance? Why is this so important? Why does the scripture draw our attention by saying, behold? Well, it's because, first of all, the story of the birth of Jesus confronts us with, who do you believe Jesus is? It's a very important thing to consider. Uh, we live in a day when even amongst professing Christians, I hate to say it, but a lot of people don't believe it. 
I was shocked recently to read a, a, a survey. Ligonier Ministries, every couple of years, puts out a uh, survey amongst evangelical Christians. That is, people who say they believe in the Lord Jesus, he's the only way of salvation, the Bible is inspired, and they say it's important to them personally to tell others about Jesus. That, that makes you an evangelical uh, as far as this survey goes. And they ask various questions in it, and in the most recent one, uh, 43% of evangelical Christians agreed with this statement. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. I hope that shocks you. It shocked me. 43% of evangelical Christians say that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. It denies the Bible. It removes any basis for hope. Any, what forgiveness could we possibly have if Jesus was only a great teacher? His death doesn't do anything for us, let alone his life. It's an awful thing to believe. I don't think that uh, our numbers here would reflect that same belief, as best I know you. But it does let us know the culture in which we live and the things we need to be aware of. And it even helps you know what kind of questions to ask when there's somebody you meet and they say that they're a Christian and you, you want to get to know them and you, you want to have fellowship with them. Maybe you want to learn from them. Oh, please, please be careful who you learn from. Please be careful who you listen to. Please be careful to find out if someone professes to be a follower of Jesus, who's the Jesus that they follow? Who is he? Uh, Matthew's very clear. He's fully God and fully man. The second thing of uh, so what about the story of the birth of Jesus is that we're confronted head on with what we understand about the nature of sin and what it means to be forgiven. Remember why the angel said that Jesus is coming? Do you remember what he said his name is? Do you remember what he said his name means? We use the name Jesus all the time. But how often do we stop and think what his name means? In the Bible, your, your name's everything. It's significant. There is no other way of forgiveness than Jesus. That is why he came. He came because our sin is an awful, awful affront against a holy God. Whether it's a little sin or a big sin, as AJ reminded us in our confession of sin this morning, whether it's a sin of omission, where I, I didn't do everything God has commanded, or commission, where I've gone against what God has commanded. Either way, sin is serious. Sin brings separation. Jesus came to save you from your sin. Please make that personal. Don't be content with Jesus came to save sinners. Apply it to your heart. Jesus came to save you from your sin. Some of us as believers still struggle with sin, don't we? Uh, all of us do, don't we? <laughs> but you know, one of our struggles sometimes is thinking that some of my sin is something that I need to pay for in order for God to listen when I ask for forgiveness. I, I need to get a little bit better first. If we believe that, we're making light of Jesus and what he came to do. It is a matter of faith to be able to say, I need Jesus to forgive me of all my sin. I can't get better by myself first. I can't get smarter. I can't get more disciplined. I, I can't do anything about my sin. I need a Savior. Matthew reminds us of that. That is why Jesus came. So please, please 
Don't think that any of your sin is too small for Jesus or too big for Jesus. Jesus came to save you from your sin. Lastly, the story of the birth of Jesus confronts us head on with our feelings of loneliness and fear. Uh, Even believers experience that, don't we? (laughs) Times when you feel alone, times when you feel afraid, Sometimes it can be because of your sin. Sometimes it can be because of sin that is committed against you. Sometimes it can be just weariness and loneliness and tiredness. But Jesus is God with us. That's our only hope for feeling lonely or afraid is to remember that Jesus is with us. And Matthew apparently understood this because he's going to make reference to it a lot. He mentions it here at the beginning of his gospel as he quotes from Isaiah chapter 7 and reminds us that Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is going to remind us of it midway through the gospel when Jesus is talking about what you do if somebody sins against you and you try to be reconciled and they won't. They won't turn away from their sin. They won't ask for forgiveness for it. You keep meeting with them. You try to be reconciled. And if that still doesn't work, then the leaders of the church get involved. And sometimes what happens is somebody is unwilling even to listen to the leadership of the church and they stubbornly remain in their sin. Jesus says at that time, you need to cast them out and treat them like an unbeliever. And then Jesus says, Where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there I am with you. So in the midst of what can be the hardest thing to do in a church, the most full of conflict, the most full of difficulty and hurt, Jesus wants you to know, I'm with you as you obey me, as you try to carry out what I've commanded you to do. And that brings us to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus says, before he ascends into heaven, all authority on heaven and earth, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. As you go, make disciples of all the nations. Teach them, baptize them, disciple them. And lo, what? I am with you always. So as we live our lives as followers of Jesus, as we seek to obey his commands and see others become Christians, and as they're discipled in everything we do, Jesus wants us to know that he is with us. And it all goes back to his name. And it all goes back to a prophecy given thousands of years ago through Isaiah when God said, I'm going to send my son. Here's how I'm going to do it. The virgin will conceive. And she will give birth to a son. You'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. Please don't miss that. Jesus is with us when we are in need of saving Jesus is with us when we're in need of peace. And Jesus is with us as we seek to live out his commands and declare the good news of his salvation everywhere we go. Brothers and sisters, I want to plead with you. You're not alone. The significance of Jesus coming in the flesh is that now by his spirit, it can actually be true that God's presence is never absent from you. That's incredible. God has kept his promise to send a savior. His name is Jesus, and he is God with us. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you and we ask that you would help us that uh, what we've read in your word would resonate in our hearts. 
that we would be filled with a sense of wonder that you would send your son and Lord Jesus, that you would be willing to take on flesh, to actually become a helpless baby, uh, to, to be in the womb of Mary for nine months. Without you, nothing has been made that has been made. How, how can it be, Lord Jesus, that you would be willing to um, humble yourself in that way and become man, to become a part of the world that you and your Father and the Spirit created? How can it be that you took on those limitations of flesh and blood and became hungry and thirsty and suffered and had to learn things growing up? It's, it's beyond our comprehension, but we are so grateful that you are with us and that you've promised never to leave us. Help us to believe this. Help us to believe no sin is too little or too great for you to save us. Help us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we would live in light of these truths. Apply them to our hearts, each one of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.